All right. Dave, how are you? I've had, I don't know about you, but I've been having uh, a large number of uh, very bland and strange women following me on the inter- on uh, Twitter. <laughs> I'm similarly afflicted. Well, you're, you're a handsome man, Dave. So, uh, yeah. yeah. That's not surprising. Well, I did this tweet about like Kubernetes and it's like all of a sudden like all the like 10 women like followed me like immediately. Can, then, uh, well, as you know, container orchestration brings all the boys to the yard oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I follow you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it's like you look and it's like it's like a young, attractive lady. The the description of the lady is like, or the, you know, the bio thing, it's like, oh, flowers are immortal and blah, blah, you know, it's just really <laughs> like, just like bland, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at the tweets and then they kind of look plausible, but it doesn't seem like, like, they don't immediately look like a robot. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at one of them, but all of a sudden it's like, if you have like 10 following you or more, like right away, it's it's like a pattern and it's just really creepy. I don't know. Does that, does that happen to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does happen to me. Um, when I see stuff like that, I block it, not knowing if that's actually going to do anything to help me, but just uh, makes me feel better. Yeah. And it's, it's, you almost need, it's like, it almost passes a touring test. Almost. Almost. Yeah. I suspect what they're doing is like copying, pasting from other, uh, mm-hmm. copying, pasting from other accounts. Yeah. And then, um, like I was, uh, like then I would see like tweets all of a sudden, like people would like retweet and it would be like something about Palestine or Syria or something um, from like, like it, it does look like maybe they're using it to like build up um, like a, a persona and, and, you know, over time. So they get followers, they follow people. And then all of a sudden they use that, like Putin uses it to Twitter bomb people or I don't know what. Yeah. My, my working assumption is that it's part of the, uh, the Russian Twitter, Twitter apparatus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which we which we've talked about on a previous episode. Oh, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how are you doing? No, no, just kidding. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are uh, you okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was you. You sent me this video uh, of this dog with this horrifying yell or bark, uh, and uh, yeah, it's very disconcerting. It's very disconcerting and also hilarious. Um, and adorable and adorable the adorable dog the, the the bark is different from or, or the the howl is different from the way the dog looks it's which not, is what, yeah that's what makes it horrifying yeah that's right you not what you would expect coming out of that tiny little fluffy thing yeah that's right mm-hmm. that's right yeah. but it's, seriously uh, how, how are you doing um all right i had a busy busy week uh and in my downtime i've discovered i'm not a video game player dave as you know i'm mostly a civilization kind of guy but um there is a video game that has captured my imagination okay it's called free blade and Freeblade. not uh, related to blade runner not related to blade runner but yes related to warhammer 40,000 which is oh. which was my that was my dungeons and dragons when i was a when i was a wee one and uh so i can live out my 14 year old fantasies of driving an imperial titan uh slaying orcs and uh coronate space marines uh it's just it's just a it's a thrill um huh. and uh and a very well executed game actually uh so yeah. i'm having a great time i'm having a great time yeah. well speaking of blade runner did you see blade runner 2 is announced so excited about that so excited that ryan gosling as deckard i don't know how i feel no. about that I don't know. That makes it got me a little anxious, but uh, 
I, I, I will definitely watch it. I can, I can guarantee you that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, so what's on tap? Uh, let's see. What do we got here? We get, uh, I see iPhones. I see politics. I see politics with iPhones. Uh, I see glibc and containers and glibc with containers. And then I got Azure and uh, Red Hat and uh, Azure with Red Hat. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, if folks want to see the video uh, of this horrifying dog, uh, or if they want to link uh, to my current video game obsession, what uh, website should they visit? Uh, dgshow.org. So, D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice. What's on the uh, cutting room floor this week? Yeah, so we got a Simpson search engine. We have uh, screaming dogs, as we've noted, and uh, that old pesky uh, Nigerian astronaut scam to be on the lookout for. Classic. The classic Nigerian astronaut scam. Yeah. Uh, so remember the milk, uh, which I unceremoniously threw overboard, uh, a few months ago. Um, now a to-doist, I'm a to-doist man now. Right. Um, are you still, you're still using, uh, yeah, I'm playing milk, into right? it. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm like paid up for the next like 10 years. <laughs> Seriously. It's like, so, all right, I'll ride it out. Yeah. 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 But the, there is, um, remember how like for you to get the actually like cool version, you had to be a premium member and mm-hmm. it was like to get in the beta. Now the beta is GA. So the reason to be a paid person is lessened. Um, and then, but to, to help make things better, they raised the price from $25 a year to 40 a year. Right. It's Cause I guess all that, uh, immeasurably slow engineering work costs money. I, I, I guess. I guess, I guess, yeah. And uh, but the other thing is, like, if you look at the pro column and the free column, they moved a lot of the pro stuff over to the free column, which kind of makes the justifying paying for pro harder to justify. Right, right. Man, I don't know what's going on over there. That's how yep. they were doing. They were doing great there for a while, and then they just kind of dropped off. Yep. Uh, terrible. A little bit like Twitter, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were t- we were talking about the uh, Twitter stock price earlier. Man, those guys are taking a beating, and uh, yep. all that news about the algorithmic timeline and everything. Um, yep. Anyway, I got I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to some hilarious tweets on the topic. But uh, it's a, <laughs> the the upshot of the tweet is um, whatever Twitter's doing, it is not. They are not doing it to preserve their existing install base. Um, they are definitely right. they are definitely going for growth. Um, yes. And possibly at the cost of their incumbent install base. Uh, right. I, yeah, and I wonder what's going to emerge from, you know, people, if if the, the, the hardcore people leave, or is something new going to come along to pick that up? I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And, and who's going to be the left behinders, right? Um, like every social network never really dies. It just gets super, super niche right? Think about yeah. your, like, live journal and, uh, help me out, Google+, Plus, Friendster. Friendster, right? All yeah. right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that how that pans out. Um, I don't know, but on the other hand, you know, super popular with journalists and uh, and the celebrities, the personalities. Uh, folks yep. seem to enjoy the short format. So, I mean, there's something there. Um, I, I did see one proposal for uh, nationalizing Twitter. Yeah, a public resource. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're already sending tweets into the National Archives. So, yeah, nearly there. Nearly yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, Remember how we were talking about remote controlled cockroaches? Of course, how could I forget? Speaking yeah. of hor- speaking of horrifying. Yeah. Um so now you can do your own for uh you could build your own for like 30 bucks. <laughs> nice. 
All right. Yeah. Arduino powered only six lines of Arduino code to do this. Huh. What what are the <laughs> what do those six lines do? Um so well, the way it works is you get uh, one of those what is African hissing cockroach or you know the big mm-hmm. the big ones right yeah right you you glue a little Arduino to its back um, and then you have the output pins attached you you surgically remove the antenna uh, from the cockroach and you wire in the two of the output pins into the antenna of the cockroach and the six lines of code will basically um, is basically proof of concept code but. It uses the antenna to detect whether there are objects in front of it, and by sending an electrical pulse into the antenna sockets, um, you're able to fool a cockroach uh, into believing that an object is right in front of it. So it would actually like walk in a circle. Okay, straight up, that's disgusting. That's that's disgusting. Yep. You and. For the PETA people that are listening, uh, they show you it's an instructable. Um, so they show you how to <laughs> properly anesthetize the cockroach, remove mm-hmm. the antenna, and put them back on. I guess when you're done. Ugh. Okay, so if uh, so, if I had a strong moral objection to this kind of work, um, is there some way of complaining to people? But I like I don't actually want to work that hard. So like, is there an automated complaint service that I might be able to use? Yeah, um, and, and this is where we move from Arduino over to Raspberry Pi. Um, so there's a guy, and this is, we're moving away from cockroaches uh, to, and uh, a different, I don't want to say different kind of cockroach, but let's talk about Comcast for a little bit. Um, <laughs> so uh, Comcast, you know, they advertise their bandwidth speeds and then they get slow. Um, this guy actually uh, came up with a way to use a Raspberry Pi to do uh, a speed run the speed test program, and whenever the speed test falls below a uh, certain bandwidth threshold for what he's paying for, it'll automatically tweet uh, uh, at Comcast and it'll say, "Hey, my my speed is down and everything," and and people could follow it. That's a that's a that's a pretty clever idea. That that reminds me of. Um... That FCC bandwidth statistic collection project. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting from a crowdsourcing standpoint, and, and I'll we'll put a link to the the FCC speed test app. But uh, yeah, we ought to tell uh, what David Bray about this. He might yeah. be into it. No, that's true. That's right. That's right. Uh, Dave, I can't help but I mean, we're like ten minutes into the episode here, and we haven't talked about license plate readers. Yeah. Let's talk about success stories. Okay. Um, yeah, so the uh, Freeport Police Department, um, they turned uh, 27 cameras across the New York village uh, into scans, uh, to scanning license plates. Um, they get an average of 700 alerts a day, and uh, they are declaring victory, where they were able to write more than 2,000 court summons and impound 500 uh, vehicles uh, since the cameras went live. And, um, and then they also, it led to the capture of two dozen criminals involved in other crimes. All right. Uh, so I, I, I guess well, I guess we have to wonder now why these why these, the good people in Freeport are so successful, where uh, most of the other what Chicago, right? Um, it's Boston. Boston. Uh, Boston. Just getting yeah. a lot of garbage. Yes. Boston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, well, that's interesting. That's what we call a reference customer. That's a reference <laughs> yeah. customer right there. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they said uh, um, that the mayor was considering the program a success, and he may add more police officers. Uh, dedicated to traffic and registration violations. So, so in light of the the uh, the in, 
in light of our previous conversations on this topic, uh, I feel like this is a good thing um, because if the license plate readers are and the, the market for them is functioning the way that it should, then it doesn't force these license plate reader companies to go out and do other extraordinary stuff like sell all this data to repo men uh, in order to in order to make a buck. Right. Um, this is like this is the legit use of the license plate reader technology. Maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. so they they said that uh, crime has decreased by 12.3 percent. Is it causation, correlation? I don't know. Hmm. But my concern is that, oh, we're hiring police officers to write more tickets as a way, you know, and if you think about if if their calculus is that if I could hire a police officer for X dollars and they could write uh, one point X uh, times the number of uh, tickets, it's a, mm-hmm. they look, it could be a, considered a profit center and yes, a way to right. shore up local budgets. And uh, Fair point. That's right. Yeah, that that would be my concern. Yep, yep. Um, and it's not so much uh, it's not so much that the police are solving more crimes; it's that they are discovering more crimes, which are easily solvable. Right. Which is something yes. very different. Yep. 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 All right. Uh, so let's see. Oh, Ashley Madison's been in the news here. Yeah. Yeah. So like on your Ashley Madison account, do you let your your profile picture just be out there yeah 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 you know it's Let cool it all hang out that's cool yeah my wife my wife's cool about that stuff yeah 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 right yeah yeah so if for those unlike you that are that are totally <laughs> comfortable with that um they're they they have a new feature which mm-hmm. allows you to put a mask over your profile picture uh-huh okay all right did, did you actually see it the the sample picture yeah, 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 yeah. I did, um, and it's like hilariously inadequate. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's like a, it's like a what a masquerade ball mask, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can't tell who that is at all. <laughs> Not at all, right? That was just awful. That was yeah. just terrible. They're trying. I guess they're trying. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, my wife found this other one uh, just recently. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, there is up in Cleveland. Uh, there was a carjacking and, and I guess, uh, this, you know, this guy, uh, they, they like dragged him out of his car. Um, they, like eight guys, uh, like the, uh, this minivan came up, eight guys got out, dragged him out of his car to steal his car. And then they opened the door they got in the car and they tried to drive away, but then they realized that it was a stick shift and none of the eight guys knew how to drive a stick shift. (laughs) All right. Yeah, that's like a Darwin Award. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then they ran off, and the the guy was—I guess he had some injuries or whatever—but uh, amazing, amazing. So. Oh, it's a bush. Uh, let's see. Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, foolish, don't Dave uh, mm-hmm. set your iPhone date to uh, the epoch first uh, yes. of January nineteen seventy. Don't do that. Why? Why is that? Uh, it'll break your phone. Nice. Your iOS device, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, apparently there's a there's a bug in in uh there's a bug in iOS uh on the the 64-bit iOS devices that uh yeah, uh will not only prevent it from working but will prevent it from working forever. Nice. So that's uh Oops. that's that's gnarly. Um that's that's the kind of thing you would want QE to catch. Yeah, but I mean, how many people like how often then it's like is it like NTP synced? Right. And you're mm-hmm. always having the latest date. So that probably is never part of a QE test. And and for people to actually, you know, when I saw that article, 
the effort that would have to go into like turning the clock back to 1970, you would actually have to do a lot of effort to actually do it. Right. Right. Like it'd be a lot of work. It's not something that you would accidentally do. Yeah. Well, and I see that, uh, I see in the article that, uh, uh, jokesters, probably 12 year olds, uh, are bricking uh, iPhones in the Apple stores, uh, yep. by exploiting this bug, which is kind of funny. That's kind of funny. That's, that's yeah. Good. Darn kids. <laughs> um, speaking of childish approaches to technology, um, uh, the, uh, the government is, uh, is fixing to sue Apple here, uh, about the, to unlock the iPhone. You saw that, right? Yeah. What is it? The, uh, the people accused of uh, the shooting in California, um, yeah, the, the San Bernardino. Uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, the the husband's phone is is locked and uh, has apparently stymied the FBI to the point where uh, they they are now uh, using the courts to coerce Apple's cooperation in unlocking the phone. Yep, and and uh, Apple's uh, standing firm, huh? Yeah, they did an open letter uh, with a very well reasoned uh, kind of no, we're not, you know. This isn't about us helping terrorists. This is about uh, defending rights and slippery slopes and et cetera, like everything that you would expect uh, them to say. But you know what? Good for them. Uh, they're getting a lot of uh, well-deserved kudos uh, for taking a stand. And uh, they're, uh, I've also seen some articles uh, where it's kind of embarrassing how few companies have, ra- have, uh, have uh, joined Apple um, in, this, uh, uh, in this effort. Um, it, is, uh, it is a little bit creepy, uh, to think that the government could ask any device manufacturer uh, to go help them uh, unlock stuff. But it does bring up some good questions that I don't know the answer to is what are the upper limit? I understand that, you know, there's like the espionage angle, right? Because um, here we're talking about the FBI trying to do it versus the NSA trying to do it. Um, right. And so uh, given that it's law enforcement and not an intelligence service, uh, there are, I hope, different rules around what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed, you know, what what's good and what's bad. Um, I imagine warrants are involved and so forth, but, uh, can you actually, what about like a FISA letter? Yeah. 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 I don't know. But like, at what point do you say, uh, that companies do not have to be complicit in this? Right. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I know how I want it to turn out, but it's difficult to, it's the kind of thing that, um, Hmm. It's the kind of thing where you have to almost come to an opinion about the outcome and then have to back into the logic of it. Um, yes. You know, getting to uh, getting to one decision or another about what's right and what's wrong and what is the correct and legal way to do this is hard to come at from first principles, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, a, I think, that's part of the part of the difficulty there. I don't know. What do you think? What's the? Is there a bright line that we can set where, uh, like, yes, a company should be forced to cooperate, or no, a company should not be forced to cooperate? I think. Hopefully, Apple's approach, if I understand it properly, is to design the product so it's impossible for them to crack it. So you could put a gun to their head and they couldn't do it. Right, right, right. Just so, just so. Um, and in fact, they've done that actually to a certain degree with that. Uh, was that that Error Fifty Three? Yeah, that was also in the news recently. Yeah, which um, wasn't. I guess that was in hindsight was a mistake for like if a third party uh, person. Uh, tries to repair a system or, or a bit, not even a third party. It's if somebody takes apart an iOS device and the iPhone detects that the biometrics were uh, compromised, it will automatically brick the device. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so what this is largely showing up with the third party service uh, people. And it was, 
happening, you know, there are a lot of service places that it's like that. That's the only choice you have as a third party, where there may not be uh, an Apple store in you know whatever country you're in, or you know wherever you're at in Ohio. Um, so, uh, and so that was getting bricked. But it, I guess they, the breaking news is that uh, Apple was saying that no, it was actually a mistake, and and we're going to make things right. But their whole point of this is that if somebody's trying to insert a shim in between the biometrics and uh, the the unlocking things for it to automatically wipe itself to some extent, but not maybe not necessarily turn it into a doorstop. Yeah, it's well. It's what's what's interesting about that problem is that you know you ask somebody like, do you want something that's tamper proof? Yes, I absolutely want something that's tamper proof. That seems like a good idea. Okay, well, by doing that, you are you are compelling. Uh, to make something tamper-proof, that means that only Apple can open it, which means that you're giving up a certain amount of freedom, liberty, agency, what have you, um, and you're going to be beholden to Apple for all of your repairs. Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? They're like, well, that's okay. That's a different set of questions, right? Um, it's a it's a nice little nice little object lesson in how complicated this stuff can be. Um, yeah, it's not just that, a matter could, of. We'll just ex- extrapolate that to driverless cars. Where, you know, when we would always talk about open source, about having a car with the hood welded shut, what about, you know, you have these driverless cars where should people be allowed to modify the driverless car firmware and trick it out and put DDWRT on it or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, it's, is that good or bad? And where does a liability go? Um, is a liability, like when you get car insurance um, if and you have a driverless car, if you're not driving, do you need insurance? Is it really li- Is it more of the liability is on the manufacturer of the car as long as that car is not uh, tampered with? Right, right. And uh, and, and so to put it another way, um, the constraints that you put on a system for safety do they do they necessarily inhibit someone's freedom of action, um, or can we? Because in in software land, um, we, you and I both share the opinion that you know open source software is and stuff that can be modified and all the rest of it. That's all that's all goodness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but that same property doesn't apply to a physical good uh, because a physical good cannot be freely copied in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great that anybody can modify it because we can have because everybody can have their own copy. Um, mm-hmm. and we can, and we can use the sharing and collaboration in order to improve the security of the thing. But when you're talking about one physical car with one copy of the firmware, d- no, like I don't, don't want anybody to touch that any more than I want Dave, you messing with my operating system code. Right. It's kind of the physics. It's a yep. physics. It's a, it's a poser. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, let's, let's talk about some, uh, let's talk about some other, uh, applications of the technology here i mean similar to your raspberry pi idea you get the amazon dash right yeah you know what that is that's the little thing the little button i can hit to uh get amazon to deliver me toilet paper right right yeah whatever the windex or whatever you you push that Mm -hmm. button and it'll send a message over the internet to amazon and uh boom you get more whatever is associated with that button um so it's pretty cool Uh, another uh Thing that you could do is you could actually hack that um, where it you can and you could actually reprogram it it's it's actually a little microcontroller and uh, put some instructions on how to um, for people to be able to do that in one one case here um, a guy was actually using it to track uh, the 
uh, bowel movements of his uh, child, um, mm-hmm. baby child. And so sure. um, stick it, populate a spreadsheet. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you got to have a that's, a, that's a particular kind of a person that does that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just get tired of entering it by hand, right? <laughs> That's true. No, I'm laughing you know mostly I mean. out of recognition because I was. I, I, I do have. I am. I. I'm laughing because I do have that in me. Um, I know that when my son was very young, I was keeping fanatical notes about uh, about everything that went in and everything that went out, um, and so. Uh, yeah, that's that's embarrassing. All right, next topic. Next topic. Yeah, next topic. Um, let's talk about Internet of Things some more. Uh, so, speaking of poop, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, there was a talk by James Clapper, uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Director of National Intelligence, said that uh, the Internet Things is a great opportunity for spies uh, to uh, use uh, to spy. Uh, it's a it's a great thing. Uh, for uh, use as a spy tool by governments. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. No surprise there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that you could um, hijack your Amazon Dash yourself, somebody could give you a uh, security-enhanced version of an Amazon Dash uh, unwillingly or unwittingly to you, and then uh, you could, uh, you know, people could uh, compromise you. So... um, to me, that's no surprise. I'm, I'm glad he said that uh, because it's like in in it's not like the NSA has a monopoly on this. A lot of governments could take advantage of this, but I, I think that this is going to be one of the big things we talked about in the past with IoT, where uh, you have all these devices that, if you have physical access to the device, anybody could modify the device uh, with or without you knowing. So, thought that was neat. Um, uh, that um, you know, or I, but one one interesting thing that I thought about too is um, I, I've been reading some books about Bitcoin and how the um, the blockchain will only get updated if there's more than fifty percent consensus, and I wonder if IoT needs a similar thing where if a certain percentage of your IoT devices agree on a certain firmware level, um, it would get updated or something like that, or if that that sort of model of consensus could be used with IoT since you would have potentially so many of them. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Oh, I like that. I like where you're headed with that. Um, it, it, that also reminds me of, uh, I can make a book recommendation here. Um, uh, D- uh, Dave, do you know the novel Ghost Fleet? No. Does that ring a bell? Okay, so there's a guy, Pete Singer. He's a, He's a big, he wrote a book called Wired for War. It's kind of the... Uh, it's kind of one of the go-to books on the use of robotics in the on the battlefield, and he wrote a, a fiction uh, book called Ghost Fleet, and it's about a hypothetical kind of a Tom Clancy style hypothetical of um, how the U.S. and China go to war with each other, um, and the and exactly what you're talking about with the vulnerabilities of IoT feature pretty prominently in the book. Um, oh, wow. it's a, it's great. It's a, it's great. It's a quick read. Uh, I got through it in a weekend. Um, and you know, Tom Clancy style fun. So that's good. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit about a different approach to, uh, IOT security. Okay. Yeah. So remember VTech? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. These are the, uh, these are the, this is the toy company that had that, like that lost all the, the identity of for all those children. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, Going way back, you know, VTech, they used to make the inexpensive uh, 
uh, mobile or not mobile phones, but you know cordless phones in your house, and then I guess now they're focusing mm-hmm. on toys, and then they had the you know the the children's uh, data got leaked and all that, and uh, mm-hmm. one, the way that they are addressing sec- uh, security uh, for their devices is that they have updated their terms of service to say that they're not liable for hacks. <laughs> Easy peasy. Done. <laughs> and then they solved. went out for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So President Vitek, he said, after further strengthening our data protection, the Learning Lodge service is now back online. We are committed to the privacy and protection of the information you entrust with Vitek. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And but meanwhile that okay, so that was a press release. If you look at the terms of service, it says you acknowledge and agree that any information you send or receive during your use of the site may not be secure and may be intercepted or later acquired by unauthorized parties. That's a, that's a kind of a commitment. Yeah. <laughs> because they care. Yeah. So what did, what did the uh, EU guys say? Yeah, so I I I I enjoy uh, I enjoy thinking about the glee with which this privacy lawyer from the Netherlands went through this interview. Um, he says, uh, "Yet this ass covering doesn't really work in the European Union. Under EU law, you have an obligation to secure data, and you cannot waive this by putting something like this in the terms and conditions that you have with your consumers." Um, so yeah, this is uh, this seems a seems like this this won't even work in the european union um you can't just you can't just announce that you're not liable which is nice that's a nice little feature of eu law mm-hmm. nice and uh meanwhile uh let's talk about uh more iot so uh a husband found out his wife was pregnant from her fitbit data that's wild that's yeah. wild that's yeah, even better so... than finding out it's even better than finding it out through search history <laughs> right right no well, i don't she didn't i don't think she knew she was pregnant either um, you know, he was like looking at the uh, uh, Fitbit data and uh, noticed that her heart heart rate was above normal. Her heart rate was above normal, and then he uh, posted it up on Reddit, I believe. And uh, somebody said that, oh, maybe she's pregnant. And uh, lo and behold, yep, she's pregnant. So you can imagine with uh, all these fitness devices that people wear, and then you wired into something like Google Fit um, that. Uh, tracks all that information for you uh you could imagine all the other fun sensor stuff that in correlations they're <laughs> yeah. making based upon that yeah that's wild that's crazy that's crazy yeah what a good story yeah so let's let's talk about politics for a while i can't wait all right let's get going here we go yeah yeah so um yeah so this came in from uh the mailbag from uh kevin chin and uh eric mm-hmm. morrissey also told us about this this is uh uh, I guess it was a Market Watch uh, uh, radio episode, and there's a company called Distillery, and they mm-hmm. are tracking. Uh, like you know how you go to, like Distillery, what they do is like you know how you go to the the mall and then you go into a store, and then they use I guess what IMEI data and correlate it with other data to figure out shopping habits and and tracking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. They were thinking, boy, wouldn't it be fun to uh, map this with uh, election results? Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So what what they did was that they put these beacons outside of polling places uh, in Iowa during the caucuses. And uh, but what was what happened, though, is it with the caucuses, 
the way I understand it works is that you have like a Democratic caucus, you have a Republican caucus, so they are in separate uh, buildings, right? So you can automatically mm-hmm. segment the Democrats from the Republicans as opposed to just having a polling location in where you don't know whose affiliation is and how to track it. So they can right. immediately do that tracking. Um, and then what they did was that they found that at each caucus location, um, they were able to see who won the caucusing in that caucus location, correlate that with the cell phone uh, data that they captured uh, through. So whether it's IMEI numbers and MAC addresses and stuff like that, um, and then map that back to the databases that they have already on people, they were able to uh, make correlations for things like um, NASCAR uh, was one of the outliers where like uh, people uh, seem to overwhelmingly support Trump and Clinton uh, if you're a NASCAR fan. Huh. And there's like, really all kind of like correlations like that. Yeah, yeah, and then and that data is now extremely valuable. You could, you can expect. Yeah, um, where are you I saw put your advertising and you know stuff like that. Yeah, especially yeah, with the yeah, yeah. with South Carolina's coming up uh, with the. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Wow, that's that's amazing. I saw also that uh, they were uh, someone was correlating, or Spotify was going to be using voter records as part of its <laughs> uh, as part of its kind of predictive algorithm. Does Yuck. that creep you out, or is it? Is it like? Does that improve your experience? Is that something you ask for? Uh, no, it probably. Well, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, there's two questions in there, right? Like, so uh, first, is it creepy? Yeah, 100 percent creepy. Um, is it creepy just because we're talking about uh, voting for president and not the kind of cola that you enjoy? Right? Is that like? Is that? Does that make it qualitatively different? Um, I think that's that's also an interesting question because I mean because this data is this kind of data mining is being done all the time for yes. mass advertising right yes um, and it's just when we're talking about uh, voting it's something that's ostensibly done in private although in the case of a caucus I guess it's not that private um, yeah it, it does seem like it does seem awfully heavy handed for a like a diminishing return like for the Spotify thing I can imagine that being um, much more about the press release than it is about you know like valuable data analysis. Yeah. But on the other side for the distillery people, I think it's a huge PR coup for them as far as, Oh yeah. You know, it's going to get all the CMOs that are like, Oh, what is this distillery thing? And I want to hear more about it. Plus everybody that's a politician is probably going to want to look into, um, tapping into their databases and seeing how they could, uh, um, take advantage of it to, uh, optimize their, uh, campaign spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and, and the reason they would use that data is so that they can send out, uh, notices to voters like we saw in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, Ted Cruz, I guess he sent out some mailers, uh, that look like super official kind of looking, uh, letters, all capital letters saying election alert, voter violation, public record, further action needed. And uh, if you open it up, it says that, hey, there's a caucus going on. And guess what? Here's your report card. And also, so here's your voting report card. Basically, um, it doesn't show how you voted, but it showed how often you voted in the last so many uh, elections. Um, So you get a percentage as well as a letter grade. 
And it also shows you what the letter grades are of your neighbors. So around you, you get to find out whether um, your neighbor is voting all the time or they're a schlub um, or they're not voting enough and everything. Um, so um, that outraged a lot of people that, you know, and they were sent to like uh, Republicans, right, to in encourage them to go out and vote for Ted Cruz. And um, what that ended up doing was for many people, it backfired and they were like, well, I'm going to vote for uh, Marco Rubio because it's like, I don't I don't like this, uh, you know, getting shamed into voting for you. That's no way to win my vote. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I don't know anybody who's actually defending this practice, which is also nice. Um, I think, you know, Cruz apologized for it. Uh, and so, but we were talking about this earlier. I think the the interesting thing about this for me is, you know, we talk about the chilling effect of surveillance and big data and all this other stuff. This is a pretty good example of that um, because mm -hmm. the threat is empty, right? The the threat in the letter is empty, but 100% plausible to somebody Um if you just assume that all your votes are being uh, surveilled or taking, keep being kept track of, if you just assume that everybody's under watch all the time, then this seems like a perfectly credible threat, mm -hmm. um, which is which is also interesting. Yeah, and and um, to be fair and balanced, um, I guess the Republicans don't have a monopoly on this. Where in the 2012 race, uh, MoveOn.org uh, sent out similar report cards uh, to encourage people to vote for Barack Obama. Um, but the one mm -hmm. that I saw from moveon.org was actually a little bit more on the positive side. Um, and I don't know if they were all meant to be on the positive side or if that was just a sample um, where it was like, hey, you're doing great. Looking forward to your vote uh, compared to being condemned for having a crappy voting record. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I also look at it, too, as like if it's a choice to vote, um, if you choose to stay at home, I think that's another way to um you're, you're making your voice heard if the, none of the candidates, uh, you can't support, you can't get behind any candidate. It's your right to not, uh, vote. Um, mm -hmm. so, yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. That's true. Uh, so, you know, it would be great is if we could turn the tables and actually start tracking the voting of, uh, of our Congress people. Yes. Yeah. There's a website for that. All right. Yeah. Terribly named. Um, it's, uh, for <laughs> us, buyus.com so the number four us x us.com crazy um yeah <laughs> so they they will uh keep track of your representatives and you could see what they care about and be able to engage with them and i was i was looking at it and uh you know one of the things that i was thinking about is like well what is what is their business model is it is are they doing it out of the goodness of their heart um and um, what I did was I, I looked at their privacy policy, and it's to provide relevant ads. Um, and it actually seemed pretty reasonable. I, I was surprised. I'll, I'll read you what uh, an excerpt from it. So it says, although we may analyze data regarding your search and activities on the site, we will not disclose information as personally identifiable that results from such activities to third parties. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, that is, yeah, that, that does seem nice. Oh. Um I wonder if this is uh, I wonder if this is different than uh, govtrack.us which uh provides some like very similar services but without any advertising. Don't know. Don't know. Hmm. Okay. A little research project for us then. Okay. Yeah, and I I think this I I don't know about govtrack but and I haven't tried this uh 
for us by us site, but it it seems to have a um, a social aspect too, where you know you can connect into social media and see how your uh, you know your friends are what what they're supporting or against and all that. Which you know it's like mm-hmm. I don't know talking religion and politics and the, <laughs> yeah. um, that's right. Yeah, com- combining the uh, the unholy combination of politics and the internet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah social media. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess one of the other things, I know Josh Bressers was talking about this a lot with his predictions for this year, um, is that he's going to see an uptick in uh, cyber ransom. And uh, Mm -hmm. there is a hospital, uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center uh, in L.A., that they just got nailed. Uh, So uh, $3 million worth of Bitcoin uh, is, $3.6 million is... um, the ransom right now to release the encryption keys to computer systems holding patient data, x-ray scans, CT scans, and lab work. Man. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Oh, bad. Yeah. That's just awful. Yeah. So there's one of the doctors, an unnamed doctor said that the departments are communicating by jammed fax lines because they have no email and the medical office staff uh, has no access to email. Wow. That's real bad. And lives are on the line, right? This, that's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's why, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, somebody dies Oof. because it's like, oh, I can't see your uh, MRI scan. Sorry, come back later. We'll yeah, scan you ima- or something. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine the FBI is after these folks with uh, with some superhuman zeal. Uh, I hope because this seems yeah, that's that's not good. That's not good at all. Yep. Um. Although the good things that are happening include uh, your open org chat coming up, right? Uh, that was yesterday, uh, February 18th, but I'm going to be doing it later, uh, many more times this year. Uh, so uh, keep an eye out for that. I put a link in the show notes if people want to follow along. It's I don't know if you ever did a Twitter chat, but it's it's really exhausting um, to like be like really fast and try to fit thoughts concisely into 140 some characters. It's it's a uh, but it's it's exhilarating. It's a lot of fun. Oh, good, 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 good. Yep. Um, you know what else was exhilarating recently? Glibc. Glibc. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for folks who aren't quite as nerdy as Dave, Dave and I, Glibc is uh, kind of a fundamental building block of the operating system. It's um, kind of anything that's not in the kernel is probably in Glibc. Um, mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's a very important library and. There was a real, real nasty bug um, that was simultaneously discovered by Google and Red Hat, um, and basically, what this the bug was in the lookup uh, for DNS. And so, mm-hmm. uh, if you asked for www.twitter.com, uh, uh, and something has to go turn that into numbers that the computer can use to go connect to the server, mm-hmm. and the bug uh, is that somebody could give you bad DNS information and by putting that bad DNS information in there could compromise your system and even do a remote execution hypothetically. Um, Mm. Yeah, pretty bad. So, uh, and especially since glibc exists in like everything that runs Linux. And so we're talking about cars and elevators and uh, as well as personal computers and servers and all that other stuff. Um, I think that people were particularly worried about like Bitcoin um, systems. Mm. So, uh, although good news, Dave, is that, uh, we know how to fix this, right? Um, 
get a, if you're a Red Hat subscriber, you get a CVE and you just do a yum update and you're all done. That's it. You're fixed. Yep. Um, so that's, that's good. However, containers, Dave, yes. uh, containers make this a little more complicated, uh, because containers of which there are many more containers than there are servers, uh, mm-hmm. containers live inside those servers, but containers also carry their own copy of glibc and, uh, with, a vulnerability as widespread as this one, uh, becomes an interesting question as to whether or not you have patched your glibc that lives inside your container. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tricky. Uh, and so, uh, what, what this is, uh, one of the reasons why, you know, we've been talking about this at Red Hat is because I don't think a lot of people are thinking about this as a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just kind of considering like, well, if I patch the server, then I'm done. Um, well, in fact, you have to patch all the, all the stuff that runs inside the server as well. Um, just like you would have to patch a virtual machine. So, uh, anyway, Red Hat has a bunch of tools that make that, make that easy to do. Um, but, uh, for those of you who have made the, the, the journey into container world, uh, don't think that you are immune from this problem. Um, there's a, uh, making sure that you have uh, a secure source for container content is just as important as having a secure source for operating system content because the container is, in fact, an operating system. So, okay, now I'm off my soapbox. Yeah, but if you're running unikernels, they, you don't have to worry about that. Well, so the fun part is, yeah, so the, that's what a lot of people think. Um, but, of course, the unikernel still runs software inside it. And the unikernel is just a, an undifferentiated blob of software, some of which is the vulnerable glibc code. Um, yes. And so one of the advantages of running a well-packaged operating system like RHEL uh, is that you can go and identify which parts of it are vulnerable and then patch them. Um, whereas with the unikernel, you have, probably have no idea even what version of glibc went into it. Um, mm-hmm. so there's no way to know whether you're vulnerable or not. So anyway, a little, but a little bit a, of fun. It's a container. You guys, but... <laughs> it's, it's, it's all sealed up, right? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Like Cause the container is, and, uh, right. Yeah. now yelling at, at his, uh, cell phone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He just flipped it. Yeah. He just flipped the table over. Um, no, that's right. So there's the, uh, there is the problem of uh, containers which are not themselves uh, especially secure, uh, certainly not as secure as a virtual machine. Um, you need you can have uh, many layers of protection around a container, but if somebody's container gets contaminated, um, that container can still attack the underlying kernel and, and compromise all of the other containers on the system. So the isolation is not, uh, I- isolation is not going to help you uh, in, that, in that case. So, yeah. Right. The world gets complicated. Containers are a great tool, but uh, they make uh, they make management and especially patching a lot, lot, lot more complicated. Yeah, you would think it would be easier, but it's not. It's it's harder. A lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, let's see. And well, while we're knocking out Rel news, uh, Rel is finally available on Azure. Right? We announced yeah. that back in November. Our partnership with uh, Microsoft, and so as of today, you can go start up a for real. Red Hat Enterprise Linux machine on Azure, which, by the way, means that technically Microsoft is a RHEL reseller now. Yep. Kind, kind of mind-blowing. Kind of Think mind-blowing. about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. And then uh, on, the other, on, the, on the other side of the cloud fight, uh, Google Compute Engine uh, is now shipping uh, Gluster, uh, which is pretty mm-hmm. great. Um, and so you can actually, and because Gluster 
uh, can manage file systems that span uh, kind of different locations. You could have one kind of cluster file system that some of which lives up in Google and some of which lives on premise, um, which makes it easy for folks to kind of expand out uh, their file systems uh, using the cloud, which is great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yep. And you can also replicate between uh, Google regions as well. Uh, for uh, so if a region goes down, you can uh, still have your data replicated somewhere else. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So pretty fun. What else have we got? Oh, did you hear the uh, the White House published? You know, they put out their budget uh, twenty for the twenty sixteen twenty seventeen budgets. Those are they posted those up on GitHub. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of fun. Nice. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what one is supposed to do about that except download it. Um, I'm not sure if you could send them a patch. Uh, pull request. I, mean, yeah, I presume, I, yeah, I presume yeah. they could put in a pull request. Yeah, right. That's the whole point. Yeah, I, I need um, more funding. Right. But also I saw that they posted the uh, budget documents on Medium. Uh, yeah. And I was like, huh? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fine. Uh, I don't have an objection to it, but um, Medium is usually uh, the host to kind of internal cat fights between venture capitalists and uh and people in the technology world right it's not really uh not really where you would expect to find a uh, a critical government document but okay i'll take it yeah. i'll take it yeah. good for them yep nice yeah so um yeah let's let's talk about something a little bit somber um and morbid all right yeah okay so um interesting video i think everybody should watch this video it's like 50 some minutes long um, but it's a really good video. It's like thinking about New Year's resolutions if you haven't made one yet. Um, this video is um, a video about um, the guy that's he's giving a presentation in a conference, and he was talking about uh, oh, a friend of his and his wife were driving in their car and had a head-on collision. It wound up that the wife was injured and um, the 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 guy was killed. It was sad. Um, and he goes, uh, so the guy giving the presentation, um, talks about the whole story of, of the wife waking up in the hospital, not knowing where she's at. She doesn't have her phone. Um, and if thinking about in, you know, this day and age with technology, you know, you don't memorize, uh, telephone numbers, right? Nobody does that anymore. Um, so who do you call for help? Um, and then the other thing is that like in my case and in your case and, and many of the folks listening is that, you have, um, you know, you're typically, um, like in my case, I'm, I'm the um, the IT uh, CIO of the family, and so I know how everything's <laughs> wired together and everything. Um, but with in this case, you know, the guy passed away, and his wife didn't know how anything was cabled together, didn't know how the bills were paid, didn't know any of the passwords, and and so uh, going through of like getting the iTunes. Uh, uh, password reset and just going through all the things of being able to get the data out to get her back on her feet mm-hmm. was just like crazy. And so this video mm-hmm. goes into all kinds of um, detail and recommendations as far as, you know, the things that you should be doing in terms of, um, you know, what are some things that you should do to share your passwords and how to do it. And, um, uh, you know, one of the recommendations was to have the uh, live in the shoes of the other person for like a couple weeks or a month out of the year. So have the other person pay the bills. Um, so they know like, or how the taxes are done and things like that. So, mm, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure that, 
you have some redundancy in case something happens to the other person. That makes a lot of sense. That's very good advice. That's very good advice. Yeah. But it's, I mean, for me, you know, you often just get so wrapped up in, you know, what's going on today and it's like, Oh, I'll worry about that some other time. Uh, this is a really good, um, reminder to, uh, do stuff like that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what else I was thinking, Dave? What? I don't know what that stuff is in between the layers on a Kit Kat bar. You don't know. I don't know. Is it is it magical? Is it cream cheese? What is that stuff? Um, yeah. So it's um, it's really simple. It's actually ground up Kit Kats. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Pretty interesting. So you know how you have the assembly line and then the Kit Kats are flying down the assembly line and then you get ones that are like imperfect? They take the ones mm-hmm. that are imperfect, ground them up, and then make them the filling in between the wafer layers. Yeah, but how did they make the first Kit Kat bar? Did That's I just blow your mind? question. That's That's something to like meditate on. Just like go to quiet room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like the sound of one hand clapping, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, Dave. Well, if folks want to learn, uh, if folks want to watch that video that you mentioned, which sounds like a very good idea, uh, if they want to learn more about the GLibc vulnerability, um, or if they want to see that dog screaming, uh, what website should they go visit? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Right on. All right, Dave. Uh, We'll have a great week. Yep. Thanks, Gunnar. Thanks, everybody. 